a couple of weekends ago, we had the opportunity to take our whole family to Orlando. My 16-year-old daughter wanted to celebrate her birthday in some of the theme parks in Orlando with our family, with another family friend of ours, part of Crossbridge as well, and some of her teenage friends. I don't like going to Orlando. Um, I don't necessarily like those parks either. Um, I feel it's kind of like, you know, I don't know, purgatory on earth, uh, pretty much. And, and, it's, and, it's, and it's purgatory for me, and I'll say this, because I can't do any of the rides anymore. I get dizzy, and I pretty much have to wait around holding bags and running after kids. So that is purgatory. That's what purgatory is. And, but nevertheless, so we uh, went to the Universal Parks, Island of Adventure, I think was what we did the first day, and then they went the next day to... Um, Universal for the Horror Nights, and I said, I'm going to stay with Jesus, you guys go, and they did, Um, and it was fun for them, you know, they came back at 3 a.m. in the morning, I don't know, but nevertheless, one of the details that I need to mention to you is that my daughter Zoe, who's 16, was her birthday celebration, she went to the park with a cast, because she had played in a volleyball game a few weeks earlier, and she kind of... Uh, broke her ankle, and so she was walking around with this cast, and she found out that if you are in the park, and if you have any type of handicap, any type of injury, any type of injury, uh, if you're wearing any cast or of any sorts, you can jump right to the beginning of the line, right? And, and you can actually take six people with you. So I had no idea. And so there were some rides there, for instance, like the Hagrid ride that we tried to go, my wife and I was like two hour wait, and she did it five times, I think. Five times, six times, I don't know how many times you did the Hagrid ride. Uh, you take full, took full advantage of it, she milked it completely. She, she probably did like 50 rides in one day, okay? Something nearly impossible, but because she had that fast pass on her foot. Now, that is what the gifts kinda look like and how they operate. I was thinking about that. We're preaching this series of sermons on the spiritual gifts uh, with the goal and the objective of uh, reactivating some of you or activating some of you for service in the context of the local church. Many of you are inactive, and that is not what the Spirit of God wants for you. He has given you specific gifts to use to meet specific needs, and we want all of you guys to be activated and reactivated. And uh, so as we've been going through this, this series, uh, we, what we've been making the distinction is now what looks sometimes as just a gift is actually also a spiritual discipline, right? So most of the gifts actually function as spiritual disciplines for all of us Christians. For instance, generosity is a spiritual gift, but it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a discipline for all of us here. Evangelism It's a spiritual gift, but it's something that every Christian should be doing, sharing their faith in Jesus Christ. Now, the difference is when somebody has the gift, it's kind of like the fast track. They're like doing something that will take you forever and like in five minutes, okay? So maybe you've experienced this before. You tried sharing the faith with a coworker for five years, like every day, giving them a Bible, sharing them something about what you have learned at church and an experience that you had with God. And it's like, oh, okay. And then somebody with the gift sits next to them and in five minutes they lead the person to Christ. Like what? I said all of that to you before. Yes, you did, but you do not have the gift, okay? 
That's great. You, 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 you paved the way. You prepared the soil. Somebody came in with the gift and harvested, harvested the fruit. Some of you have experienced this in another way as well. You're trying to raise money for a specific program, um, a specific nonprofit, for uh, a project in the church, and it's so hard. You know, people are not really giving, and then somebody comes in with a generosity gift, here's the vision, and writes a big check, covers it all. Okay, so that's how the gifts work, and that's how the gift functions, the gifts function. And what we've been saying up to this point is that the spiritual gifts, when you read the New Testament, can be really divided into three groups. There are three clusters of gifts. There are the word gifts, there are the love gifts, and we're going to look at the power gifts today. These are exciting gifts. Uh, some of you today is like, yes, we're going to talk about power today. And some of you are like, ah, I came from a crazy church, and that's all they talked about. <laughs> I'll give you a few disclaimers in a bit, but let's read about the power gifts. I want to invite you to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to read verses 4 through 11. And, and by the way, let me say something about the power gifts. This is by far the biggest cluster of gifts. Isn't that interesting? The biggest cluster of gifts, not the love gifts, nor the word gifts, but the biggest cluster of gifts are the power gifts. And almost every gift listed here by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 are power gifts. This is what the Word of God says. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another various kinds of tongues. To another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individual as he wills. This is the word of the Lord. So before we go through the gifts, the power gifts, a few disclaimers here. The first one is this. We here at Crossbridge believe that all these gifts are at use presently today. Uh, if we did not believe that, we would have to tear off this page, 1 Corinthians 12. But we believe that all these gifts are in full use today. That's the first thing I want to tell you. The second disclaimer I'm going to give you is this. I want to acknowledge the people here in this room, like I said, that have come from crazy churches where these gifts were abused and you were shamed, you were objectified. Some of you have real experiences of the misuse of this gift and what I want to tell you is, number one, I want to acknowledge your pain, and I, I want to acknowledge your story. And uh, I know that that is true because many have had the same experience as well. Some who are sitting here, some of our closest friends, have had this experience of spiritual abuse through the power gifts. But just because these gifts have been used to abuse, these gifts have been used as weapons to hurt you, to dominate, to control, to manipulate, that does not mean that they are not in use. That does not mean that they are not supposed to be used in the context of the church. The abuse 
St. Aquinas used to say, the abuse does not remove the use of the gifts. And let's not stigmatize those with the power gifts because we also know that there have been a lot of people who have been used and abused by gifts of teaching, by gifts of preaching, even by the gift of generosity and money, where money comes with strings attached. Some of you have been abused that way as well. So that's not looked down only on these gifts because gifts can be misused and it can harm and it can hurt and instead of building it can divide and so but we want to acknowledge that the the third thing that i want us uh, all to acknowledge here today is that uh, these gifts these power gifts even though they are extraordinary when they're exercised and when they're a- able to be experienced they are not above nor at the same level of authority as the scripture. They do not communicate the will of God and the word of God as clearly as scriptures. They do not have the same power. In fact, they are to be tested constantly. We're going to talk about that. There are people that have received specific gifts just to test the spirits, just just to test the proceeding and the deployment of those gifts when they are Deployed, So we must believe and understand that the Bible is our highest authority, the only rule for practice in the Christian life. And these gifts, if they're not evidencing the word of God and the will of God that's written in scripture, they can be considered anathema, all right? They can can be completely written off. So the Bible is the highest authority. All the gifts come to affirm and confirm that which the Bible teaches and says. And lastly, uh, we must acknowledge that we must approach these gifts with great care. Here at Crossbridge, we say that we're Presbyterians, but we're charismatic, but we're charismatic with a seatbelt, okay? We, we have a seatbelt on because we want to make sure that these gifts are used safely and they're not dividing, they're not generating pain and disorder in our midst. So we want to be careful. We want to put that seatbelt on uh, as these gifts are being exercised in our midst. And after these disclaimers, therefore, in light of what the Apostle Paul writes here, we want to ask three questions. Why were these gifts given to begin with? So let's ask that question first. Why were these gifts given? Then secondly, what are these gifts? I'm going to give you a general overview of all the gifts. I can't really go into the weeds. That's another disclaimer. I cannot go into the weeds. Sermons, full sermons could be preached on any particular gift that's listed here. We're not going to do that today. I'm just going to give you a general overview, give you a few examples in history and how it's operated in our church, and then we'll move on to the next one and to the next one. There are eight gifts that are listed here in this passage. And then lastly, we're going to ask the last question, how are we to exercise these gifts? All right, so if you are here and maybe God has gifted you with some of these gifts, how are you to exercise these gifts? How are we as a church to pursue these gifts? How do we respond to people in our church that have received these gifts? How do we open ourselves for God's manifestation in our midst through those who have received these gifts? That's the last question. First question, Remember? Why? Why were these gifts given in the first place? And the first thing I want to tell you right off the bat is that these gifts were not given by the Spirit of God to any particular individual in order to platform them above others, all right? Many times people have platformed themselves with the usage of these gifts. The Spirit did not give any of these gifts to bring glory to any particular individual, but to bring glory to God because these gifts were given to demonstrate the power, the presence, 
and the reality of God in the moment. Let me say that again. These gifts were given to demonstrate the power, the presence, and the reality of God in the moment. Here comes my props. All right. This is how the gifts in general work, in particular, the power gifts. I hope this works. I try to keep a skein. Maybe I'll fix that, uh, that little wrinkle there. But uh, when, when you become a Christian, this is your life, right? This is your life. It's, it's, there's a cup of, uh, of Starbucks here, and inside of it, a clear cup of Starbucks. And inside of it, there is water, mineral water. And uh, here I have this little bottle with oil. This is vegetable oil, and it has food coloring. That's why it, it's the, I, didn't, I didn't take this from the back of a... Um, McDonald's fryer machine, okay, which probably looks like this, um, but this is vegetable oil with food coloring, and what happens is this. When you become a Christian, the Spirit of God comes into your life. Now, now this is what happens when you, when you begin to observe the experiment here. Uh, the first thing that you begin to notice is that the whole liquid portion here inside this cup, the content is now colored, right, because there is food coloring. So, you have become a new creation, there is a new identity, there is a new color, that is who you have become in Jesus because you have become a Christian. Now when you begin to look at the cup, I don't know if you can tell, maybe I put too much food coloring, but there is a division between the two liquids, right? There's uh, the oil on top and water at the bottom. And what this means is this, is that even though you start coming to church and you start reading Christian books and learning about the Christian faith and the concepts connected to your faith in Jesus Christ, uh, some things stay in your head and very little goes into your heart. In fact, uh, your life as a whole is unimpacted by the gospel. So you would see things such as somebody that has given their life to Christ, but has not given their finances up to Christ. Somebody that has given their life to Christ, but in their relationship sphere, the spirit of God has not taken a hold of that yet. There's no lines there. Uh, there is an understanding of who God is, but there is no connection between what you know of God and how you do your work. You're, you go about your day-to-day -day business. There is a separation between the two. And what happens with the gifts, and especially the power gifts, is this. Now, I have here dish soap. Okay, this is dish soap. And what happens is this, and I didn't know this until uh, I learned about it this week. If you pour dish soap in here at a good measure, and let's put some dish soap in here, when you uh, mix the two liquids, all right, it becomes one. You see, there's no separation. This is what the power gifts do. They take that which you know of God and turns it into an experience of God. It takes that which you know of God and is able to bring it to the heart. It gives you a new experience, a new insight. It's visible. It's palpable. It's felt in a way that it allows that which you have learned or you, which you are learning to be transferred into real practices into your life. It reminds me of this passage in, 
in the Gospel of Luke, right in the beginning of Luke, we, we, we begin to read about Jesus, uh, his ministry, and, and how it operates. He's teaching the Word of God powerfully. People are amazed at how he teaches. But he goes through a healing spree right in the beginning of the Gospel of Luke. He's healing a lot of people. And uh, chapter 5, Jesus ends up going to this little town, town of Capernaum, where he heals a lot of people. He, he even heals Peter's mother-in-law. Peter says, you didn't need to do that. Um, but I'm glad you did. He, he did not say that, guys. He did not say that. And then he goes from that place in, into a house where he is ministering. And I, I know you remember this story because there were these friends who had a paralytic as a friend, and they couldn't get their friend in front of Jesus because the multitude was great. So what they ended up doing, you know the story, right? They climb up under the roof of this house, and they open uh, a hole in the roof, and they lower their friend. And Jesus heals that man in a powerful way. And at the end of this chapter, this is what we read. After people had seen all the miracles, after they had seen Jesus at work and evidencing the power of God. This is what we read. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing that that happens? So, just to let you know that the reason why these gifts are given is that we will have a sense and experience of the power and the presence of God in the present. We need these experiences to be able to connect that which we know to that which we do to our life, to our conduct, so that we're able to mature and to grow in the faith. Pastor David, as I continue this sermon, can you bring my phone inside my bag? I need my phone. I forgot my phone. Um, so that's the, that's, that, that's the first reason. The second reason why these, these spiritual gifts were given in such a powerful way is because God uses these gifts and all the gifts to build the church. Now, I know we don't see, especially here in the West, the manifestation, the constant manifestation of these gifts because since the Enlightenment, uh, we Westerners have valued science and reason and whatever doesn't come through science or reason is highly suspicious. And so that's why many of us have a resistance sometimes towards these gifts. But let me tell you something that's very important. The church of Jesus Christ, even though it's pretty much stagnant in the West, it is booming in the Southern Hemisphere, okay? In China, in Africa, in Latin America, it is booming. And the way people are coming to faith in Christ is obviously through the word gifts, but primarily God is using many power gifts to draw people to him. And that must be acknowledged, that God, in his sovereignty, he is using the power gifts to continuously build his church. He has done that through the centuries and he is doing it right now. But ultimately, these gifts are an evidence that uh, God is restoring all things to himself and therefore these gifts serve as a way to build hope in us in the present. Ultimately, the reason why Jesus is performing all these miracles that you read about in the New Testament and that the apostles after Jesus ascends into heaven continue to perform these miraculous acts. I mean, there's stuff in the Bible that you read that uh, people would take their handkerchief and rub it on Paul and take it back and sick people were healed. That's crazy stuff, right? The reason why this happens in the Bible is not to show that when God is at work, there's a suspension of the natural order, but there's a restoration of the natural order. Meaning, every time someone sick is healed, every time a lame person is healed, a blind person is able to see, a deaf person is able to hear, what this is saying is God did not create human beings to be deaf and blind 
and lame. And these are evidences of the world that he has rebuilded in Jesus. So every time this happens, glory is given to God because now our hope is restored that God is at work in the world and he will complete his work that day where there will be no more tears and no more death. Death will be eradicated from the ends of the earth. And God is at work today. It restores hope in the present. And that's an amazing thing that gives us, you know, uh, this sense of assurance that the gospel that we believe is true, that the good news is true, because Jesus has made the resurrection power available to us in the present. The Apostle Paul is constantly connecting the mystery and the miracle of the resurrection to these everyday miracles that God uses through his people as these gifts are being exercised. He says, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the grave is a spirit that lives and dwells within you. Isn't that amazing? That whenever these gifts are deployed, whenever God does his work and confirms his will and is able to, uh, to uh, give us an evidence of his presence, that we can connect that to the fact that it has been made available to us because of that which Jesus has done on our behalf. So that's why the power gifts are given. Now, second question, what are these gifts? So let's go into the text, and uh, we're going to read each of them that is listed here. And again, I'm going to give you an overview of how these gifts work and how they operate. Verse 8, he starts the list. For to one is giving through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. The first one is the um, word of knowledge, and I'm going to piece them together, word of knowledge and the word of wisdom that's listed here in verse 8. And the way this gift or these two gifts operate is that they provide insight and clarity to individuals. It's aimed at individuals. God uses somebody, gives them insight, wisdom, and knowledge to speak to individuals in order to provide clarity about what he's doing, Comfort and courage sometimes, right? God uses people with these gifts to speak into your life. And when that happens and when that takes place, clarity, either clarity is something that is now a reality. Comfort, oh man, I'm comforted. Or courage is being built inside of you. Let me teach you an experience, teach you out of an experience that I had a few years ago. A few years ago, um, I was driving home. And as I was driving home, I heard God audibly say, hey, I want you to call this person. I am not going to reveal that person's name because I don't want to expose the person, so I'm going to just call that person Steve. So I want you to call Steve right now. And I want you to tell Steve that I got this. And I was like, what? You're telling me to call Steve that you got this? Now, now mind you, Steve had been attending uh, this campus sporadically. I mean, he had, he had come with his wife and he was bringing his family, but he was sporadic like, like a lot of you, you know, once every three weeks, once every four weeks. Not what I would consider um, a firm believer in, in Jesus. And I received that word and I was like, okay. So I looked in my phone, my phone and I couldn't find uh, his contact. So I called the secretary here at the church and I said, hey, do you have Steve's contact by any chance? Let me look in the database. Oh, I happen to have it. She sends it to me. I call him. And as I call him, I said, hey, Steve? And it's dead silent on the other hand. Steve? Oh, oh, I'm here. I'm here. Steve, can you hear me? He goes, wow. I said, what? I said, wow. He said, 
Let me tell you what's going on here. I'm at work. I'm sitting at my desk. I have a very important decision to make. I have two sets of paperwork in front of me that I might sign one of them. And I, I, I don't know what to do. And uh, God told me, you should call Pastor Felipe. <laughs> you should call him. And as I'm about to pick up the phone, you call. And he explains to me what the decision is. I'm able to navigate it through. He makes the decision. And then he calls me later. That was a good decision. Thank you. I felt affirmed by God. I felt that God brought clarity at that very moment. I felt comforted that God's got this. I didn't even say God's got this, but that's what he said. God's got this. See, that's how this gift operates. Maybe you have received this gift. Maybe you had experiences like that. It's amazing when that gift is put to use, when it's not abused, it causes growth, encouragement in the body of Christ. We know that there are people here with this gift and we want to encourage them to put that gift to use. He goes on in the list, verse nine, to another faith, faith. Now, uh, let's make a distinction here. Faith is a gift. It's a gift to all of those who have put their trust in Jesus, okay? You cannot put your trust in Jesus. You will never be able to surrender your life to Jesus unless you have been given the gift of faith. So faith is a gift for all believers. You will not be able to become a Christian without faith. Faith is a gift from God. Paul talks about that in Ephesians chapter 2. It's a gift for all Christians. But faith is also a spiritual gift. And people with the gift of faith, they're able to inject oxygen in a room when barriers are set in place to a vision that God has given. They are the encouragers. They are the ones that are able to move because they have a great assurance that God is at work and that that's the mission of God and God's going to see it through. Now, they don't do that in every circumstance, in every scenario, but there are many situations where that gift comes to use when people are discouraged, and they point us back to the promises of God. Someone in history that was very much like that was uh, George Mueller, the philanthropist, the British philanthropist that lived in the mid-1800s. I was reading a little while ago a biography of George Mueller and how he was a man of faith and how he had been gifted by the Spirit, this gift of faith. In a particular passage of his biography, the biographer writes this. Pay attention. He says, by by faith, George Mueller operated an orphanage in Bristol, England. He cared for 10,000 children over a period of 60 years, receiving $5 million in the process. Now, this is in the mid-1800s. So, Uh, There was a lot of provision that came his way for that ministry to move on through the years. He began the work uh, with only two shillings in his pocket. And without once ever making known to anyone his needs, he received enough money to to build five large homes big enough to house 2,000 orphans at a time and feed the orphans day by day, all by prayer. Never once in the 60 years did they go without a meal. Often, listen to this, often the children would sit down for a meal, breakfast, lunch, or dinner, and the pantry would be bare, and George would stand in front of the pantry and pray, Lord, we know that you will provide. We believe in faith. 
In Jesus' name, amen. And there will be a knock at the door behind and the food would come every single time. Every single time. Just this past week, I was able to experience this. I was with Pastor Carter, and, you know, there's, there's one of the projects that we want to get done. It's something that we did not include in the budget last year. It's, it's, it's been not been budgeted, and, and we've made commitments, and, and we want to make, make sure that uh, we have the resources uh, to finish that project. And uh, Carter and I go to have lunch with, um, with this person from our church. And we sit down to discuss some other initiative, and we have lunch with this person. And um, at the end of the lunch, the person says, hey, don't, don't go yet. I almost forgot. I mean, I have a, an envelope here. This is part of my regular giving. God told me for you guys to use it in whatever way you want to. I said, thank you very much. I go into the car. I open the envelope. It's the exact amount. <laughs> oh, this, this, this is past week. I kid you not. Ali, our financial director, was... In front of the computer, crunching numbers, I, 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 I walk up to her this week, and I just drop the check on her computer desk. And she looks at it, and she goes like, wow. This past week, you can ask her. But the interesting thing was this, was that when we were struggling to believe in the provision, somebody came to us and our staff says, don't worry about it. Put it in God's hand. He's going to provide. Don't worry about it. I was like, no, but we gotta, what are we going to do? No, just put it in God's hands. See, that's how it works. Maybe that's you. And we need that gift. We desperately need that gift in our church. He continues on. To another, gifts of healing by the one spirit. Gift of healing. Now, we believe that God heals and he commands all of us to ask for healing. Uh, God heals today. But we believe that there are some people that have been specifically, especially gifted to pray over those who are emotionally, physically, spiritually sick, and God uses those prayers to heal. Here's some clues if you have that gift. First of all, good praise reports. <laughs> you get good praise reports after you pray for someone's healing. Number two, is that your go-to? Is that the first reaction that you have when you hear somebody needs prayers of healing or needs healing in their lives? Do you say, do you say, oh, we must go to the doctor. Oh, we must see how much money we have to meet this need. Or you say, let's pray. Let's pray for healing right now. What's your first reaction? That determines uh, whether you have this gift or not. And, and, I, and I'm sure you guys have seen this uh, because in the past several months, we have been making it a regular practice here at Crossbridge Church, not only in this campus, but all of our campuses to pray for healing. We have moments in our service where we bring up the elders and those who have the gift of healing to pray over people. And the reports have started to come in. And just, just in a month, I'm, I kid you not, just, just in a month. And I have heard informal conversations with people to the point that I've gone back to them and I said, hey, that that praise report that you shared, do you mind writing that paragraph down so I can share it with the church? So I want to share with you a few reports that we got just in the past month, okay, from these prayers of healing. Here's one. They're anonymous. They're anonymous. One says this, during the pandemic, several routines and habits changed. I started drinking alcohol and smoking cigars every day at night after work, something which previously was occasional. Just to be clear, there's nothing wrong with drinking alcohol nothing wrong with smoking cigars, but when it becomes a master over your life, such as work or anything else, there's a problem. 
because you're now dependent upon something else other than the Spirit of God. And he acknowledged that. And then he goes and he says, as the worst part of the pandemic started to fade away earlier this year, I decided to reduce the intake of alcohol and cigars. But to my surprise, several attempts to do so failed. I felt powerless and concerned. A couple of months ago, after one of Pastor Felipe's sermons, he invited whoever needed help to stay and asked for prayer of support, which I did. I asked for physical and spiritual strength to succeed in my attempts to contain the increase of that vice. As a result, it's been a month and a half since I've quit both, and I strongly feel that the large amount of positive events which I've experienced during these last months clearly started with that simple but powerful prayer on Sunday. Amen or what? Can we say amen in a Presbyterian church? Here's another one. For many years, I have been struggling with the loss of a child. The struggle has stripped me of my joy and been paralyzing in many ways. One Sunday, when the healing prayers were offered, I felt compelled to come up and ask to be prayed over. Over a month has passed, and in this period, I have had some of my best nights of sleep, and I have even picked up a hobby, which I've been enjoying very much. Slowly, God is answering prayers and healing my heart. Let me read you another one. Our marriage has been unhealthy for the past several years. Communication has been very difficult and intimacy has been unattainable. Our present pain is connected to past trauma in the history of our relationship. Along many others, we came up when healing prayers were offered. Since then, we have agreed to once again seek counseling and restart where we have left off. We have even experienced some moments of confession and forgiveness in the last few days which is a gift. Our hope is that we will continue to experience relational healing. God is at work, and he's using these gifts to build up his church here in the moment. He's allowing these gifts to be testimonies of his power in our lives. When he goes on in the list, and he says, to another, the working of miracles. I'm going to go really fast with this one. These are people that have a special ability by God to reprimand demonic powers, to ask God to change the course of natural events, and that happens. You know, these are people, you probably know this, oh, there's a big storm coming, and we have this, uh, this big evangelism or this big outreach, and God, don't allow it to rain because it's going to ruin the day, and they pray, and it stops. These are people that uh, when confronted with demonic possession, you know, what takes us several hours to cast out, they cast out in a couple minutes. Now, every single Christian has authority over demonic powers, but some people, God just puts them in situations and in spaces where they can exercise that gift, and it's very effective, and it's very efficient. Is that you? Then he continues, he says, to another prophecy. Now, last week I said that prophecy is a crossover gift. Uh, meaning it's both a word gift and it's a power gift. I talked about how it's a word gift, and you can listen to last week's sermon if you want to get a better insight into that. But as a power gift, it kind of is the other side of the word of knowledge and the word of wisdom, right? Because the word of knowledge and the word of wisdom is directed to individuals, but the gift of prophecy is directed to the whole body of Christ, to the whole church. And we read about that in the New Testament. So if you go to Acts chapter 11, um, there are prophets, there were prophets from Jerusalem that went to Antioch. And one in particular that the text mentions is a man by the name of Agabus, 
while the church leadership is gathered in Antioch, he comes and he says, hey, there's going to be a great world famine, and we must gather supplies right now to meet those needs. And that's what they did. He had a specific word from God to the church about something that was about to take place, and the church was able to equip itself. So when that need came, that they were able to meet that need. People with the gift of prophecy, they're receiving fresh word of God to address the body of Christ. There was a couple that uh, just moved away recently from one of our campuses, and they were explaining to us and narrating their own experience. When this series was preached about three years ago, they um, came to a moment of realization Paco understood that he had the gift of prophecy. He always felt that God was speaking to him in a particular moment, and as he was uh, urged by the Spirit to share it with the church leadership in terms of direction, he always felt really hesitant. He said, these people are going to think I'm crazy, I don't know. And so he never did. And we encouraged him after that series was preached to say, hey, next time that you have an insight, come and, come and share with us. And so he did. I remember at one time that uh, we were preaching a, a series of sermon on suffering. He texted us that very Sunday and he said, hey, listen, uh, the Spirit of God is telling me that the service that you're about to enter, there's somebody that has been trying to recover from the loss of a child. And uh, said, okay. So I incorporated into my sermon that week our own experience, Beth and I's experience of a miscarriage. And that was shared. And then the next day, flood of emails. Hey, when you share that, it connected to my own story of pain. Thank you for sharing that. God used that word to heal me. You see what I'm saying? That's how it works. That's how it operates. He goes on and he says, and to another, to distinguish between the spirits. These are people with discernment because sometimes false prophets arise in our midst and the word that they bring is not of God. Sometimes it's from the other side. And you need people like that in the body of Christ to say, no, that is from God or that is not from God to validate or to discredit that which is being said. These people, they can discern up, they can discern around, they can discern under, meaning they can discern up. They, they know when God is present. They sense the presence of God. And they come to you and they say, sometimes they say to me, oh, God is here right now. I sense the Spirit of God working in a powerful and mighty way. This is a season that the Spirit of God is even more present than he has been in the past. They can sense up when God is at work. They can sense around. They discern. So, oh, that person, be careful. Wrong intentions. Coming to you all beautiful and clean, wrong intentions right there. They can discern under when there's a season of attack, when there's demonic work happening in the midst. Hey, I sense that there's a season here of attack, and therefore it propels the church, it propels uh, individuals towards prayer and towards great dependence on God. So that gift is very necessary. And then lastly, we have the gift of tongues and the gift of interpretation of tongues. Um, how does the gift of tongue operate? I haven't understood really well how that gift operates. I do believe that that gift is at work. It's of revelatory nature that whenever God is communicating something to his people, he uses people that have the gift of tongues. But the interesting thing about the gift of tongues is it cannot be exercised without the assistance of those that have the gift of interpretation of tongues because that's the next gift that he lists. So if you have that gift of tongues, but you are preferring 
unintelligible words and there's no interpreter, the apostle Paul says in chapter 14 to be quiet, to shut up, do that between you and God. How exactly it works, I, I suspect that uh, most of the times that it's used nowadays, it's probably an abuse of that gift. But we as a church, we want to be humble, we want to be open, and if God wants to use that gift for the building up of his body in the church, we're open to that as well. And if you have that gift, there's a space here for you to serve. Last question is, how do we exercise these gifts? Uh, there's two ways that I believe we're called to exercise these gifts. Number one, we are to exercise these gifts, the power gifts, with great humility. Number one, and under number one, is don't overestimate the gifts that are of power nature. Don't overestimate them. Uh, the power gifts are not better above the word gifts and the love gifts. They are equal. All of them are necessary, even though there have been contexts where these gifts have been overestimated. And when that happens, it causes division and pain. That's the problem of the church. In Corinth, Paul writes, because those who were able to prophesy or speak in tongues were being elevated above others that had other gifts. So we must not overestimate these gifts. We must see them as necessary. We must put them in its right place. These gifts ultimately were given for service. And so if love is not a motivation, as Paul also talks about in 1 Corinthians 14, if the intention is not to serve, is not to heal, is not to love others, then don't utilize them. He says you may be able to speak the tongues of angels, but if you have no love, it's just like a sound of a symbol that's being hit. It's resounding. It does nothing. You must do it with love. So if you have that gift, if God has given you that gift, look into your heart and evaluate your motivations. Why am I putting this gift to use? Am I attracting attention to myself or is my desire really to serve the needs that are here in this community? Don't manipulate these gifts. It's disgusting when that happens because it really does hurt people. And don't assume that you know everything about these gifts. Take a posture of a learner. Allow the Spirit of God to continue to build that gift in you. As you cultivate your character, the Spirit of God will build the gift in you. And then lastly, uh, approach these gifts, not just with a posture of humility, but a posture of expectancy. It should be our desire here at church to see God at work in our midst. It should be our desire that we all experience God and his power in a more intimate way on a constant basis. Those experiences that I read to you should be something that should be desired by all of us. That God would manifest himself and his will and his healing hand and touch into your life. Freeing you, giving you wisdom, giving you purpose and courage. We should all desire that and therefore some of us need to repent of our cynicism. I have to repent of my cynicism. We have to repent of our cynicism. Oh, no, God will never work this way. Yes, he can work this way and he will work this way. You open yourself up because God moves on faith. And so we approach it with faith and expecting that he will do his work and he will use these gifts as they're being deployed in our church so that this happens and takes place so that the gospel permeates every single area of our life and of our church. Will you pray with me?